Uh, we're going cottage. to a cottage. In oh, okay. I heard college. <laughs> you ready for the gonk? <laughs> I thought you meant college. That's what I heard. No, no, cottage, cottage. Sorry. Josh pressured me to go and doesn't even have approved vacation <laughs> days yet. This guy, yeah. man. <laughs> Dude, we're going. Th- we're going through two bottles, man. You're not making it to the office on that second day. Show as long as the Henny's like there, I'm happy. You know, go home to Zoe okay. smelling like Henny. Nothing wrong. Never with had that. that before. I guarantee it. <laughs> Josh is a sober dad. <laughs> I have been, but you know, cottage time is a whole different ball game. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran, and on the line, the Iceman himself, back in the dog pound. Josh Cohen, how you doing? Back in the dog pound, like Raj is back on the pod. I'm very excited to be here, Ooh. and I'm very excited that Raj is here. Ooh, man, we haven't had a, a three-way pod in quite some, like, a, like, honestly, a month and a half. The banger in the paint, a residential medical expert, Rajan Walia, how you feeling? Peter, I know you like them threesome, so uh, I just had to join you too. <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> Put my business out there. I see how this is. Come on now. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the worst part is? I have no recovery. Uh, like, how do you how do you spin <laughs> for that? I was gonna make some like. You know, I was gonna make some like big three joke about Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, but like, who's the who's the Yo, third? We've been the big three. Aaron Gordon. Ooh. I will be the Bruce Brown of the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Please. You have like a negative wingspan. There's no way you can be Bruce Brown. I'm sorry. All right, I'll be Christian Braun Brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Josh. The last time you and I talked, I think. Denver had uh, just lost game two or game three in Miami, right? No, game two at, at home. I think it might have been after game three. And then you said that it was going to go at least six. And I told you to calm the hell down. And Denver was winning this in five. And you didn't believe me. And here we are. Well, I had to I had to hedge, man. I can't like reverse jinx my boys. I had to help them out. Uh, I can see into the future. Oh, Okay. Jostradamus, I guess. That's right. What was that character in the <laughs> Matrix called again? Christian Barr. The woman who could predict the Oracle. The Oracle. That's who I am. I'm the Oracle. The or- Christian Barr. <laughs> this guy, man. Yeah, the Oracle. You're calling yourself an old black woman? Is that what? Is that where we're at now? Yeah, we both. We both are very similar in what we see. So, I mean, it was very clear from what I saw in the first couple of games. Like Miami was lucky to win the, the second game. There were so many things that were going in their favor, and they still barely won. So I thought it was very obvious the series was not going to be a long one. Mm-hmm. The Nuggets went, yeah, that's... the Nuggets went ten and one in their last eleven playoff games. Like that's just absurd. Uh, they probably should have went ten and zero since ta- the series tied. <laughs> and if you kind of look at the entirety of the playoffs, the games they lost is when there was absurd shooting from the other team, like almost an anomaly you have the miami game two you have uh phoenix can't miss booker um in games three and four and i I think there was one game where uh in against minnesota um where uh, i think they lost game four but uh, that game even was a pretty close game yeah yeah and they almost won that game too they like pulled it they were, I think they were like down 12 with a minute and a half left and ended up tying it and, doing it and then brought it to yeah. overtime. 
Yeah, and over the course of the series, um, I think they had the most trouble with Anthony Edwards out of anybody. I mean, Devin Booker got supernova hot for a few games, but in the last two games, he was, you know, just out of energy. But over the course of a series, they had the hardest time keeping Anthony Edwards out of the paint. And he was probably the toughest matchup overall besides, I guess, Booker. Yeah, I mean, it certainly was not, I'm going to change the game, Carl Anthony Towns, that's for damn sure. Man, what he said about the Nuggets, too, like what Minnesota did was more impressive in that in a shorter <laughs> span of time, they were able to come together and make the play-in and then make the playoffs. Way to go. So dumb. Well done, Cat. You know what the worst part is? You know when you hear those kind of things, you're like, oh, man, I should probably like, listen to the whole interview or like that, like a longer snippet just to see what he's talking about. I did the about. exact opposite. I'm not going to listen to a, I'm not gonna listen to a whole Pat Bev podcast same way i'm not listening to a draymond podcast it's just not happening no can't do it yeah i listened to you know maybe half of the draymond steve kerr podcast and as soon as he said oh yeah this is like a champions podcast champions only i'm like all right click now on to the next one <laughs> click. draymond's the worst no thank you sir yeah uh i mean I wanted to sing Denver's praises because I think the new cycle moves pretty quickly recently. You know, how long ago was it? Like a week that uh, the Nuggets won the championship? First one in... Ever. F- after 47 years of a franchise, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't know, man. Has it been too long already? No, no. I mean, the fact that we're already here, we already have a massive trade that happened. And the draft is in three days. And there's going to be an insane amount of trades. Like, mark my words, going to be a ton of trades by um, the draft time, by the end of the draft. Um, the fact that it's just this soon is great for NBA fans, obviously. But as a Denver Nuggets fan trying to soak it all in, it's it's got to be tough because you've enjoyed your couple days, but I'm sure it hasn't really sunk in completely. Oh, it has. It sunk in that night, man, the same way Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray sunk into that pool. Woo! That was one of the best... Was great, One of the man. best parts of their entire celebration was that moment because it was very unique. Um, it was just kind of spontaneous. It looked like very much heat, like not heat of the moment, but just natural joy and two guys that have spent their entire NBA careers together. Um, and two players that I don't want to say were under like valued, but just they're not household names and they weren't kind of coming into the NBA. They had to build um, their, their names. And obviously Jokic with his MVPs has a bit more established uh, recognition. But uh, again, that was probably one of my favorite things that I'm going to remember is them just tackling each other into the pool. Yeah. And the fact that um, Jokic's Dirk moment was him going on the mic after the game and being like, yeah, we won. And now we get to go home. <laughs> Instead of, you know, running into the locker room and letting it all out like Dirk did, he's just like, you know, this is good. We did it. Now it's time to go back yep. to Sambor and ride some horses. He basically just did a presentation, thanked his team, like everyone else in the group, and then uh, set him out. Yeah, Jokic. And then when they said he has to say for questions at the end, he's like, what? A parade? Thursday? When is parade? Thursday? <laughs> I have to be back in my country like by it, Thursday. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Nikola Jokic, man. I mean, do you want to actually talk about anything else from the Nuggets' actual series here? I mean, they spanked the Heat. They dominated them in Game 5. I don't think there was really anything else to 
didn't really talk about, you know? The Heat were just overpowered. Aaron Gordon just smothered Jimmy Butler from basically beginning to end in almost all five games, realistically. Jokic was too much. Jamal Murray was too much. Better team won. I don't know. I don't know what else to say anymore. I, I am glad that we got a really good game five. Like the fourth quarter, there was a lot of really tense moments there. I still felt like the entire way Denver was going to win, but there were some moments there, especially when Jimmy Butler went on his personal 11-0 run, where you look at that and you're yeah. like, okay, this might actually be a six-plus game series. But ultimately, as long as Jokic touched the ball down the stretch, they were going to get great shots, and they did. And then obviously Bruce Brown came up clutch, getting that rebound and put back. Um, but, you know, looking into the future, Denver's in a really good spot, not only with their current roster having all these guys locked in, besides Bruce Brown. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, team building in a way that we're about to get to uh, with the Phoenix Suns doing the complete opposite of what Denver decided to do the last <laughs> couple of years. Um, and just building in a really smart way where they have a roster that not only works under the current CBA, but works under the new CBA up until maybe two to three years from now. But by then, I'm sure they're going to figure things out and reshape the roster a little bit. And who knows, maybe by then Christian Brown is the third option. Braun, Brown. Yo, show some respect, man. He's a champion. All right, Christian Brown. Multi-time champion, by the way. Yeah. This is one at every level, man. Can't say that about LeBron James. That is true. I mean, the man did go to college (laughs) and he won a ship there too. So LeBron is very jealous of him. Oh, man. LeBron knew Christian Brown was going to win this year. I swear. He must have known. Oh, definitely. I mean, Christian Brown, keep saying Braun. Christian Brown knew he was going to win this year, too. I mean, as soon as he got on the team, he's like, I'm here. Let's go. It's ring time. It, man. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to a bunch of guys. Oh, well, yes, two of them don't have rings, but this new big three formed in Phoenix. We're talking about this big Bradley Beal trade. Um, so Bradley, Bre- Bradley Beal, Jordan Goodwin, and Isaiah Todd have been traded for Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, and what's been reported as multiple second-round picks and multiple swaps. So we don't really know what that entails specifically. I.e., uh, the Phoenix Suns, instead of waving Chris Paul like they had intended to or had been rumored to, got Bradley Beal out of the situation, got rid of Landry Shamit, and have essentially uh, screwed up their cap space for the next X amount of years. Forever. At least 10 years, 18, 30 years, who knows? Perpetuity. Just like every, yeah, every every time that Bradley Beal signs a contract, it seems like that team just suffocates themselves. And uh, the Phoenix Suns doing the same thing. I mean, I guess the only logical thing to do now is try to trade away DeAndre Ayton and get a bunch of role players. Even then, going to be difficult to do, given his status. But, yeah, I mean, what else can you do as Phoenix? I mean... Insanely dominant big three from a from a scoring perspective, right? These are the three of the what best 10, 15 scorers in the league right now. Yeah, they should get numbers no matter what. The the, the numbers should be up there. There's a lot of talk about like who's going to run the point, blah blah blah. Who really cares when you have three scorers like that who can create for themselves and who can marginally create for other people, right? Like none of them are pass first guys, but they can all penetrate and dish which is pretty much all this Phoenix team needs to do. Yeah, I mean, the bigger issue, I mean, they're going to be, they should be a really tough playoff matchup, but they have to get to the playoffs first. And I know it sounds insane, 
But with how things have gone the last few years, especially with star players sitting out over the course of the regular season, and this team having nothing around these guys, like I, in terms of Aiton, I can see them bringing him back this year and sort of just running it back with the new big three plus Aiton and then just getting a skeleton crew around those guys. Um, like a, one of the things that I heard today that was really smart was that they might sign or re-sign their current um, players such as Bismack Biombo, Jock Landale, um, Terrence Ross, etc., to higher numbers because they have burr rates on them. Just so, or line them up to what the MLE is this year. Um, so I think it's around $11 million. Just so they can trade those guys at the trade deadline to teams that no longer want the guys that they maybe made mistakes on. So I can see them doing something like that, something smart like that, and turning a player that may not have as much value but has a shorter contract and might sign them to like a one and one where they become expiring deals for guys that might have signed for three years at the MLE and bring back value that way. So that, that's a pretty smart thing that they could do to build around these guys, but that's not the trade deadline. So I think this, this offseason, they're not going to do that much in terms of signing others outside of their current roster. And they're going to be going into the season with the skeleton staff. And, you know, their guys, like Devin Booker's played the most out of all of them in terms of the average over the course of the last three to five seasons. But Beal... I think his average less than 55 games a year. KD is the same thing. So if one of those guys, let alone two, get injured, you're going to be in a playing situation, fighting for your life to get into the playoffs. But once they are there, they are going to be pretty scary. But um, they completely just went... I think they just went the lazy route, to be honest. The lazy route? <laughs> Yeah, because I mean... Wait, you mean getting a third superstar is the lazy part? Yeah, because I mean, like, with the new CBA, it's almost impossible to have three superstars making 40-plus million each. And they have three of those guys, plus eight, and who's making 30-plus million. And they have nothing left. They have no draft picks left. They think they're having a second-round pick this year. And they traded five second-round picks. That's what's been reported. And they traded the remainder of their first-round picks over the course of the last 10 years which are now pick swaps because of the Stepien rule from the 80s where you can't trade your picks in multiple years, um, consecutively anyway. So I think in the next 8 to 10 years, they just don't have any of their own picks. They're going to have the worst of the picks now with them in Washington. So they really have no way to build around these guys in terms of bringing in young talent besides, I guess, the guys that they brought in with Beal, but even those guys, like who knows what they're going to be. So... They just have really no recourse to build anything sustainable around these guys, and they're just going to have to hope to get lucky with uh, minimum contracts every single season. Yeah, I mean, you heard it before. James Jones doesn't really care about the draft. What's the point of keeping draft picks when your GM doesn't care, you know? Yeah, this is taking it to a whole new extreme, though. Like, this is <laughs> something else entirely to have absolutely no draft capital the next uh, five to six years in terms of second round picks anyway, but first round picks the next eight to 10 years and having no exceptions because of the new CBA. You're not going to have the MLE. You're not going to have the veteran exceptions, um, you know, taxpayer mid-level, things like that, which is like five to $7 million. And you're just going to have to hope that some of these veterans who can still play come to you at the veterans minimum and then have to pay like $500 million every single season for this roster, including taxes. That's the crazy part. Like, the first year isn't that bad because they're not, they don't have, or they haven't hit the repeater tax yet, right? Like, they didn't overspend last year, but next year, 
Ooh, baby. That that bill is gonna be big. And I mean, what do you what are you really searching for during the offseason now? You want veteran guys who are hungry, who want to title chase. So what you're looking for guys like George Hill kind of players, I'm assuming. <sighs> That's like third string territory, though. Yeah, is there a second? Like, the the appeal of Phoenix, not only as a team or a new organization under new management, is that, like, it's in Arizona. Good weather. You know, nice culture of the city. Good for income taxes purposes. But that being said, you're like, the odds of you winning, the odds of you touching the floor very often are, like, kind of, eh. I don't know. Maybe they should go get Russell Westbrook. <laughs> I mean, if he would sign for the minimum, maybe. That would be quite the team. You need four, Yo, I, four guys who need the ball. Yeah, but at least you know Russell Westbrook would show up to games. He wouldn't be hurt. This is true. He'd actually be reliable and play 70-plus games a year. I think that's the biggest problem you're going to have in the regular season, though, is like you know these guys are going to get injured at some point, at least one of them. And, yeah, I mean, they're going to need somebody else, like whether that's Cameron Payne if they re-sign him or whoever else they get off the, the bargain bin. And they have to hope that guys like Jeff Green, for example, um, will sign a contract with them. Guys that can still play a little bit and, you know, be minutes eaters throughout the course of the season. Yeah, hence Bismarck Biombo. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a big, I mean, I'm not going to say there's a big chance, but there's a chance that Jock Landale is their starting center next year. Because I think ultimately, if they trade Aiton, I don't think they're going to trade him for a center. I think they're going to trade him for wing depth. Because they really have nobody to guard anyone on the perimeter. That's the other problem with this trade too, right? Like we haven't talked about the actual game itself and you know how they built their roster, right? Like they have nobody that's going to be able to chase around screens, guard the small guards in the NBA, and even you know guard bigger forwards, right? Like they have to re-sign um, Tory Craig. If they don't re-sign him, they are completely screwed. And then Josh Okogi, same idea. Like he's a guy that can actually chase smaller guards. So if they don't re-sign those two guys, then you're going to go in the territory where you are signing guys like you know George Hill and uh, guys that should not be playing minutes. But that's the other issue, though, right? Like, if so, say if you were talking to Phoenix as another GM, right, and you're talking about uh, trading for DeAndre Ayton, you know that they have no leverage, right? Like they DeAndre Ayton's relationship with the team has been severed, even though Monty Williams is gone, even though ownership has changed, James Jones is still there, one, but. Just like his time with the team is soured. On top of that, you know that they're kind of like the whole roster is strapped and they need to get off his contract just to build the rest of the roster. So as another GM, as another president of basketball ops, if you're talking to this team, you're like, why Like, why am I going to do you any favors? What's the point of this? You know, like, why would I give you any type of good deal when I can just hustle the hell out of the team? I get it. We have like the political side of it, the relationships and blah, blah, blah. But if you're just looking at it as raw numbers, as if you're looking at it from like a leverage perspective, like every other team is in the driver's seat compared to the Phoenix Suns at the at the table. Yeah, I I just want to kind of chime in here with uh, what Phoenix is doing. I think there's also another thing at play with their media deal with Bali kind of going bankrupt. Uh, it looks like Phoenix is going to be one of the first organizations that's actually going to make their games uh not free to air but uh available through streaming services to a wider audience i think this is a bit of a play by uh the new owner the new organization group to attract big stars market themselves because again it, it's a 
a warm destination. Um, uh, they have good weather year round. It's close to LA. Um, and I, I think that's kind of the way they're targeting this is, Hey, if we put and make a super team, we're able to sell jerseys, sell our streaming. Maybe we can make some of that money back. And ultimately, we know that big players like Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, um, they hold a lot of value. Like if you look at Kevin Durant, like he went to Brooklyn and they traded a lot for him. When Brooklyn dumped him to Phoenix, they I wouldn't say they got the same thing back, but they got a good portion of um, kind of players and picks back. Obviously, these players get older and their value does diminish um, if they have future injuries. But like if you're holding on to Devin Booker, if you trade Devin Booker, you can basically get all of your draft capital that you lost back. And if you are going to do that, you're going to realize the experiment failed and we kind of have to restart. Um, so like I'm not saying this isn't – I still don't endorse this move. I think Bradley Beal – probably made a lot more sense going to Miami um, from Miami's point of view and for Phoenix. But hey, uh, it is what it is. Can we just move on to the the other side of this trade? I mean, Washington basically got off what their previous regime, what the previous ownership approved. We don't really know if it was ownership or like the head office. I gave Bradley Beal an unthinkable no trade clause. Like literally the only player in the league to have it, which is just Wrap your mind around that. Giannis doesn't have one. Luka doesn't have one. Jokic doesn't. LeBron, KD, Kyrie Irving. Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum. Bradley Beal is one with a no-trade clause. Which he kept, smartly, because why would you get rid of it? Um. Anyways, so Washington gets rid of all of that. You move on to Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, and a bunch of second-round picks. That, like, whatever, the second-round picks. Odds are they won't work in the league. But you get this Chris Paul contract and you basically have to decide if you can move that contract now or if you just hold on to him and be like, yo, Chris, just come play. Teach our young guys. Oh, you don't want to play? Sit your ass at home. I mean, that's the approach, right? Like, what else do you do with this with this type of contract? Let's rewind it back. Let's go back to how Bradley Beal got all of his money and the no trade clause. Like that, that just doesn't make sense. Usually when you get the no trade clause, it's you're taking a little less money because you want the freedom to maybe choose your destination if you end up getting moved. Um, and Washington was in a lose-lose situation. And we all know the expression pennies on the dollar. This is one singular penny on the dollar. Um, they got a, a contract in Chris, Chris Paul, which again, he is a piece for a team that wants to win, maybe the Lakers, but clearly he's not going to play for the Wizards. This isn't going to be a repeat of the OKC situation. Um, he wants to win now. He's on the opposite coast of the rest of his family. Um, there is, they have no leverage. It's like they're playing a game of no leverage. And um, I don't even want to entertain the thought of him lacing up in a Wizards uniform. That's not going to happen. He's going to be shipped. Do I know where? Obviously, there are a few destinations that um, he can go into. Obviously, there's some reports of him going to the Clippers, the Lakers. Um, those are probably the two most likely destinations uh, you can see him being linked with. Um, everywhere else, like, I, I just don't see it happening. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like, I, I, I think ultimately Washington's going to get maybe one player back in exchange with for Chris Paul and maybe one first round draft pick. And that's about it. 
I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, then then Washington did pretty well given the circumstances, right? Like but they put themselves in those circumstances. Like it's like you shot yourself in the pre- foot. Upon previous previous regime yeah. put them into that circumstance. That's the thing, right? Like, like this is new ownership and new front. front no, no, it's office. not new ownership. That's definitely not it. It's not new ownership. What? No, it's. I thought no, it was. No, just no, new, no, no, no. Uh, Ted Leonsis is still the new... owner there. He's the one that just loves oh. to see this team in mediocrity. Okay, my bad. So, my bad. Well, new front new office. Front office Let's sure. restart so, the clock. Obvi- okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, before, you know, Ted Leonsis was one that, an owner that really enjoyed being in the middle. And he did everything in his power, including trading first round picks for guys like Marcus Morris and Marcin Gortat, you know, five, ten years ago, whenever that was just to keep this team somewhere in the mix between 6 and 10. And uh, now he's handed it over to a bunch of smarter executives who saw this as really the only path forward. And really it is, right? Like a guy with a no trade clause basically created his own trade because you would think that his market would be bigger if he wasn't the one choosing where he wants to go and then also choosing the players that he wants to play with because he wants to be on a team that's still competitive. And he doesn't want to get in a situation like Kevin Durant was just in where they traded almost their entire team for him, right? So ultimately, Washington got a pretty good deal given the circumstances. They got two pick swaps from a team that might be in the tank at that point, right? I think the the picks are in 2025 and 2027. And Washington is probably really bad then too. But there's a (laughs) chance that Phoenix is also really bad as well, right? So at least you have that, and you have five second-round picks, which is capital, right? And the biggest thing is you get out of this contract, so you actually have a, almost a blank slate if you choose to either sign and trade Porzingis now and then also potentially let go of Kuzma or maybe sign him and then trade him at the trade deadline. So now they actually have a path forward because Bradley Beal's not destroying their cap. So given the circumstances, they did okay. And then in terms of Chris Paul, just quickly... I think they're going to parlay Chris Paul into getting two of the Clippers wings and then they can turn that into potentially more picks and just trying to do what the you know Oklahoma City has done other teams in the past where you're just trying to accumulate draft capital by trading one guy for the next yeah. and then accumulating that over time. Yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if Norman Powell is a wizard um at the end of this um, I don't think it's going to be him. I think it's going to be Covington, Covington, and I think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be Batum, um, but maybe one of their other like Marcus Morris. There it is, Marcus Morris and Covington. I think can see those two guys being the guys because they need Norm Powell if you want to win a championship, right? We'll see what Washington wants and what they do, but uh, ultimately they just they're playing with no leverage. I I agree. Like, are they taking steps in the right direction? Yes. Are they taking good steps? No, because they're the ones that handicap themselves to put themselves in this situation. But hey, you got to move forward. You got to bite the bullet sometimes. And this is them doing that. Uh, it's it's also Chris Paul that we're talking about. Like clearly he has an incentive to stay on the West Coast uh, for family reasons. Um, again, some of his friends are playing in the West Coast. Uh, and I, I just don't see him going to any other club because he wants to compete for a title and play on a big market team and I, I can see him actually going to the Clippers. I, I really see that as a possibility, although I think he's still holding out and hoping that uh, the Lakers have some interest and can offer him anything or the Wizards something. 
I mean, the thing is with Chris Paul is that now that his contract is fully guaranteed with the trade going through, like there's no question whether he's going to make $15 million and get bought out or waived or make the $30 million and become a trade piece. He is now a $30 million trade piece, and it's hard to see him accepting a buyout unless the two sides agree to that. And the Clippers and Lakers have incentive to trade for him because if he ends up getting waived, bought out, whatever, um, he's a free agent at that point, and he can just choose to take the most money somewhere. So if he wanted to hypothetically you know, get paid the $30 million, get waived, Washington pays him out, and then he decides to go to a team like San Antonio or Houston that has $12 million for their mid-level exception to spend, he could do that potentially. I don't think he would do that, but that's yeah, why but, they have a, you know an incentive to trade for him versus potentially yeah. wait for him to clear waivers. But but why would Washington just pay him the money and ask him to leave? Like he's still worth something in the league. Like even if he's worth like uh, another bad contract and a pick, they rather get something back, right? I think I think that more so goes into like the gray side of the NBA where you're trying to appease agents and you want to be seen as a player friendly destination. So if you're a team that allows a guy to maybe choose his destination or make sure that he goes to the place that he wants to get to via trade and not have to get into this murky scenario where he becomes a free agent and help him out, players around the league notice that. And a lot of these players have the exact same agents, right? So they're going to be like, okay, maybe Washington, once they do get better, as a destination for X player down the road. The political side, man, it goes a long way. But that that being said, though, Chris Paul going to a team like a bottom feeder, like San Antonio or Houston, is not in his nature. You know, he's addicted to the finals. After all, you we got to get him <laughs> back. Here. You know, you got to feed the, the addiction. Dream. Yeah, feed the addiction, oh, man. man. Get him to Denver. So, Denver. just quickly, if you're Michael Winger, the new executive of the Washington Wizards. What would you do with Porzingis and Kuzma now? Well, Porzingis is going to take his his player option. That's not guaranteed, though. I mean, no. if somebody else offers him around the same amount of money for three to four years, I can see him opting out. No one's going to offer him that much. I guarantee it. No one's going to offer Porzingis to be their second tier or their second superstar on their team. He's making 36 this year. He's not turning that down. Let's say a team gives him 30 to 32 for three to four years then mm. maybe. Yeah, I, I could mm. see him turning it down if he's able to get a three-year $90 million contract. Mm. True. Like True. Well, Kuz is out. I think Kuz is gone. Yeah, but then you way. lose a, a, like um, a pretty good player out. for nothing then, right? So yeah. If anything, tough. I think Kuzma stays, personally. I think Kuzma stays because they have the cap space. Bradley Beal's not taking any shots from him. He's going to put up great numbers. He's going to be probably the focal piece of the offense. We know Kyle Kuzma likes to shoot. And he's still going to get his money. And if anything, it's going to help him get another contract down the road. He's just going to be one of those bad or bad player, good stats kind of guy. But he'll still be putting up stats and stats gets you paid. Like they pay players based on how many points per game and assists and rebound. Even if your volume and percentages are not that great. Like look at Russell Westbrook. Right? Like, he made his career, especially in the last couple of years, putting up, I don't want to say empty stats, but not on good percentages, high turnovers. Um, you can say it. Hey, hey, hey. MVP Russell Westbrook, thank you very much. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Like, 
he got <laughs> he got an MVP. He played really well in those couple of years in OKC. Like he was a a good player at the time. Maybe still not the most efficient, but he was still very ball dominant. Kyle Kuzma is going to be that. He's going to become a ball dominant player in Washington. Like where else is he going to be that that get that many touches and that much freedom on offense? True. And he's going to yeah. get paid. But maybe he is also addicted to the fi- maybe he is also addicted to the final. <laughs> and the thing is now, I think you have to spend ninety percent of what the salary cap is supposed to be with the new rules. So they got to put the money somewhere. And if you want to be bad for this upcoming lottery, then letting Kyle Kuzma shoot 25 times a night is not a bad strategy. Uh, let Kuz cook. It's not bad. Oh I, I, you convinced where, me. Where is he going to go? Let Kuz where cook. is he going to go? You've convinced me. Okay. You've convinced me. Let Kuz cook. You've convinced me. But I still think Porzingis stays the year. He might, yeah, but they might resign I don't think him. he gets a big contract from... Yeah. I don't think he's uh, getting a big contract anywhere else. Yeah, he might get three years, ninety million. I mean, the teams that have salary cap space are pretty bad teams, so it's hard to see them signing Porzingis when they're still sort of in like tanking mode. Yeah, Porzingis isn't the kind of guy that you would want on like Detroit, for example, right? A team that's literally just building around young guys. OKC, same thing. Houston, obviously, why would like Houston have any use for a guy like Porzingis? Same with San Antonio. I, I don't see it. You know, one suggestion that we didn't go over in the whole Phoenix talk, I sort of like the idea of San Antonio trading Collins, uh, McDermott, and Devontae Graham for Aiton, and then rehabbing his value. Because you want to protect Victor, right? Like, you need a big center in there so Victor's not having to bang with, like, Jokic and, and beat every night, and Steven Adams and all these different guys that are way bigger than him. So if you're trading a bunch of parts for DeAndre Aiton, and you're having him play against, you know, next to Victor for a couple of years, and then you bring his value up when he's averaging 20 and 10 on the Spurs, and you trade him for something better down the road. I think that's a pretty good strategy. Yeah. Again, Colin, it, huh? it's an option. I, I I don't think San Antonio is going to go that route just because Aiton's not the type of player uh, Pop goes for. Because um, he's soft? I didn't say it. The, the whole Phoenix organization said it. Pretty much. I think even Aiden admits it. <laughs> Man, that's rough. Uh, what a weird trade. This this uh, this next like couple of days is going to be very interesting in the league. Um, I think to quote Raj regarding John Morant, what an idiot! Idiot! Is that... <laughs> that is... Um... We don't need to do this too for too long. I mean, we already did it a few months ago. It's the exact same thing, but with a 25-game suspension instead of 8 or 9 or whatever he did when he went to fake rehab a few months ago. There's nothing else, right? I mean, he's screwing up the team again from an off-court perspective. On the court, he's obviously incredible. The team, do they really care? I mean, they perform pretty well without jaw anyways. Tyus Jones is often regarded as the best backup point guard in the league. So, I mean, if they can get Steven Adams back healthy and Brandon Clark's going to be out for most of the year. So, is this John Morant thing a really big deal other than him potentially squandering hundreds of millions of dollars? Which, for his own sake, is a big deal. Um, Bigger deal in his career? No. I I think this will be, if this doesn't happen again, people will just kind of skim over it. Um, obviously 
He has a ton of talent. He's highlight TV, one of the biggest stars or upcoming stars. Will it impact their season next year? Absolutely. Um, they don't, without Jaw, they don't have enough talent to compete in the West consistently night in, night out with those injuries they have. And they're going to have a change of players. Like they're going to have three players that probably top six, top seven guys that aren't playing. Like Jaw's not going to play. Brandon Clark's not going to play. And Dylan Brooks is probably going to be gone. So like, you're just looking at a lot of change in an organization that you question a bit of their leadership on the court. And uh, Taylor Jenkins, I think, will still do a a, a good job. I, I can just see them being a like similar to the the Timberwolves, maybe a bit worse um, in terms of overall year. Uh, I think people are going to expect them to do like be okay, but I think overall, when you put put it on the court, it's not going to look good for at least the, a third of the season. Yeah, it's just disappointing because, you know, roster-wise, they were in a position to really go for it this offseason if this didn't happen. And they went in with somewhat of a clean slate, getting rid of Dylan Brooks finally, now that they've said they don't want him, which is something that I've never seen before. And, you know, if if Jaw didn't do this, then they could potentially make the big splash, trade all their first-round picks because they have all of them, right? They're like, their team like, you know, Toronto that has all their picks in hand if they have decided to actually make a move and they have a really smartly you know built roster um, to be able to gather up salary and trade a lot of their depth which they have a lot of to get a player that could have really helped and now they have to look back and be like is it really worth doing that this year with all the injuries first of all and then you know this happening uh, to where what are you going to do right and then you got Desmond Bain coming up for an extension as well he's going to get the max so next offseason, you're not going to have as much flexibility. So this was the offseason where they could have potentially um, catapulted themselves from being somewhere in the middle of the Western Conference playoff picture to being at the top. And this is, you know, basically squandered that. Yeah, I, I think overall, if you look at where the Denver Nuggets were last year before they signed KCP, before they got Bruce Brown, and where Memphis was last year, like, obviously, you had player two players coming off major injuries like uh, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. But if you looked at them last year, 365 days ago, before Denver made those acquisitions, people would say that in the next three, four years, Memphis would be the team that has the best chance to win the finals. Like, just in terms of roster construction, available pieces, youth. Um, not to take anything away from Denver. It's not like there was a huge gap. But now when you look at them, you look at Denver, again, people are talking about dynasty this. Obviously, they have to win multiple times or at least make it um, deep into the playoffs. But they're set set up for good success um, going forward. And then you look at Memphis, a few boneheaded decisions, a few bad luck, uh, uh, like a few bad injuries. And then um, obviously holding on to a player a little too long, like Dylan Brooks, and look what it gets you. They're they're probably like a team where Memphis is might be that what if category in a year or two. If they end up signing Bain for a huge contract, their jaw's going to be uh, obviously going to get the max, and then your your money's going to be tied up. I completely agree with everything you said. And uh, I just hope that this doesn't completely derail John Morant's career because he is one of the most exciting players ever. 
And if, if it oh, does, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. If it does yeah. derail his career, it's on him. 100%. Right? Well, him and his boys. No, no, yeah. him. 100%. Dude, get new boys. You got money to get. Like, you live. <laughs> Kick your boys to the curb, man. All right, last thing before Stats Corner. Um, just quickly, do you guys think that Damian Lillard is still on the Portland Trailblazers after draft night? Josh, you go first. I think he's probably still on the roster, but I think ultimately they are going to send a signal that um, he's going to have to ask out in order to, in order for Portland to really do what they want to do. I think they're like they they keep playing in the background, you know, like. They, they clearly want to go in this direction, but they don't want to piss off Dame. So I think ultimately this is going to be the push in the right direction to where they're going to pick Scoot, they're going to pick Brandon Miller, whoever's left over, and then ultimately Dame's going to look at this and be like, all right, you clearly want to go in this direction, I want out. So you think they're just playing chicken? Yeah, I mean, that's what it looks like, right? Like, if they end up keeping the pick, this roster's going nowhere. So I think as a player like Dame was a really smart individual is going to look at this and be like, we don't have any cap space. There's not many avenues for them to make good trades because Nurkic is on the books for $20 million a year. Uh, Simons is on a pretty good contract, but you're not going to get what you really want back for him unless you trade him with the pick. So if they don't make the trade on draft night, I think after that, once the offseason really starts up, then I think he's going to get traded before July 10th. I couldn't disagree more. Um, first, I don't think the Portland Trailblazers gain anything by Dame asking to want out. Like, if anything, they lose a bit of leverage. Dame's actually been... They don't want to look bad. But but they aren't. I think they... they it's It's clear that... Dame has made it very clear he wants to stay in Portland or he may want to stay in Portland as long as the team's competitive. Like his timeline is now and he's made it clear and he wants to stay and Portland can always go back. And I don't think their fans would be disappointed or anything. If there is nothing that makes them competitive now, why lose value in Dame? Like isn't trade him for less. And I do agree that I I don't think they're going to get exactly what they want from another team um, with Dame. Like, it's not that Dame's not worth that. It's just there's not a lot of teams that are in the win-now mode that want a point guard um, that have a lot to offer. Because if they are going to offer a lot, they're going to lose a lot of their competitive edge. And so what I think will likely happen um, is they will end up getting, like, Scoot or Miller, like you mentioned. That's the only thing I agreed with. I, I do think Dame will leave. But I, I don't think it's going to be um, like a, a situation where it, it's going to it's going to be a huge blockbuster trade with a lot of young players. I think it's just going to be a lot of picks um, in the future, and maybe one young one other young player. The other thing too is Jeremy. Wait, Grant, so you do agree with me then? To a degree, but I don't think I don't think it's going <laughs> to happen the way you said it's going to happen. I think he actually might move even at the trade deadline or not trade deadline on draft day because his value won't tank and they'll have picks to make either now or have a bit more picks in play.
like and and for one team that I just I don't know why I just can't like shake the thought of it is what if you're Boston and Jalen Brown's up for the max, would you get Dame to pair with Jason Tatum on that roster and give up Jalen Brown? Nope. I wouldn't. I would not. Jalen Brown's catching a lot of heat for his like for his play and his like constant turnovers. But he's still uh, a very solid all-star. All-NBA caliber You're player. getting that back in Dame. And more. Dame's old. Yeah, but... And Dame's a, a liability on defense. Yeah, but Boston's defense, they have a lot of players that can, like, not compensate, but, like, can help. It's not like Boston's, like, running around with, like, the Phoenix what? Suns uh, defense. Yeah, but one of which of one of those guys was Jalen Brown. No, for sure. Like you're you're gonna right, lose like, something like that that long athletic play. But hey, Boston immediately like catapults into wow. They're clearly a big threat, and they have a playmaker, and they have an amazing wing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for Portland side of things, though, like, do you really want to pay Jalen Brown two hundred fifty million dollars when you're not going to be competitive? Most likely, when you trade Dame. Yeah, but I mean, if it was like a three-team trade where you got a bunch of draft capital back and then Jalen Brown goes somewhere else, then I think that could make sense. Um, but I think for Dame for Boston actually makes a lot of sense because they're a team that lacks um, continuity and smarts come the fourth quarter, and he's one of the best fourth-quarter players ever. Um, but he also is eight years older, I believe, than Jalen Brown. So you have to wonder, like, where does the draft capital go on that type of trade if it were to happen? Like, does Portland get picks back or does Boston get picks <laughs> back, right? Who has more actual value yeah, but right now? Yeah, it's, just, it's just a possibility. I think the reason I, I think it could work is for Portland to get a young player in Jalen Brown, a player that um, can be there with Simons and whoever they draft. Um, then they have the possibility of just dumping like Nurkic or Grant going forward um and and they would have an interesting lineup like if they had simons whoever they draft uh at number three um if they don't end up giving up that pick they'd have brown play the three jeremy grant to the four and nurkic at the five they gotta get off nurkic yeah Yeah, i mean yeah i mean if they're gonna be trading dame like they got a clear house they gotta trade simons too because if you're bringing in scoot for example like scoot needs to be the point guard and I think after last season, you saw like you saw that Simons is not a two, so I think he has to go as well. He has a tradable contract, but they got to get rid of Nurk somehow if they end up trading Dame, whether that's in that deal or outside of that deal, and give up you know future seconds or first potentially to get off his contract. Uh, yeah, they're they're in a world of hurt right now because he's like the biggest thing holding them up in terms of becoming competitive, um, you know, outside of their bad team building overall. Yeah, but but. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not, again, if they trade Dame, it's not win now. It's like they can hold on to Nurk. Obviously, they want something back from him. Um, but ultimately, I, I just think Dame leaves around the trade deadline, maybe a day before or a day after. Um, and I can also see a situation where um, it, it really seems like if you look at the teams that can offer him something, it looks like it's like teams like Boston. Obviously, there's rumors with Miami. Um, it's teams that were competitive teams this year in the playoffs and they have some young pieces to, to send back. Miami doesn't I have think, much, but whatever. 
Yeah, like, he's not going to Miami. I don't care what anybody says. There's no chance that Portland's going to accept the poo-poo platter because they don't want Hero back because Hero's on, like, a below-average deal in terms of value, right? And he's got three to four years left. You're trading Dame. You want to open up cap. You want to be able to get draft value back. And Miami's draft picks are worth nothing because they're always competitive, right? And then what else are you getting back? They have no other young players, like Caleb Martin. Like, he's a... He's okay, I guess. And then Duncan <laughs> Robinson, $20 million a year, negative contract. Lowry, negative contract. Like, what are we talking about here? The team that's going to get him if he does get traded is Brooklyn. Because Brooklyn doesn't have their picks. They want to remain competitive. And they have a lot of players. Well, they have a lot of draft capital that they could trade that they got in their most recent trade that they could trade. And then also, I think they have a couple pick swaps left, sort of like what Phoenix has done in their last trade. And you can trade Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie. So, you know, Portland can actually get some players back that they can reroute somewhere else and get more value for those guys. But, but I mean, it's the same thing with Washington, though. you got to spend something. So if you trade Dame, you got to pay somebody. It could be if you're, if you're planning to sell shop and get rid of Nurkic and maybe get rid of Simons, then that hero contract doesn't look so bad when you have no one else on the books. Yeah, I think at that point it have to be like a sign and trade, and you tr- you pay Cam Johnson twenty to twenty five million, Spencer Dinwiddie, and then you know whoever else can make the salaries work. Uh, Spencer Spencer Dinshitty, thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> okay, there, Kyle Kuzma. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right, Josh, this is some stats corner. All right, uh, I have two or three things here for you. So let's start with the NBA playoffs since we started the podcast with it. Uh, duos that have averaged both 25 points per game plus in the playoffs and won the championship in NBA history. So this is five duos that have both averaged 25 plus points per game in the playoffs and won the championship in the same year in NBA history. Can you name them? Okay. Peter, you do well, the Kobe honors. Shaft. Oh, come on. You got to go with your your, uh, your nuggets. Well, you can have it. Kobe Shaq is the obvious one, man. Come well, you, on, you have two so far, so congrats to you both. <laughs> uh, 25, you said? 25 and won the chip? 25 plus points per game for both players. Okay, how about Kevin Durant? Did Jordan and Pippen ever do that? I'm no. sorry, what? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. What about Durant and Steph? Uh, no. Actually, wait, sorry, yes, yes, yes. We give that extra silence. Uh, Jordan and Pippen. Nope. No? No, Pippen never got 25. Yeah. Jordan wouldn't let him shoot. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. How about... Whew. Recent memory. I'll give you yeah. that hint. What about... For both. Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. No, Kawhi and uh, <laughs> Siakam. You like that, eh? Nope. Okay. Uh, give me uh, LeBron Kyrie yeah, LeBron here. Kyrie. There you go. Yeah. One more, right? Yes. And there's one constant with the last two. So LeBron and the AD. The two that you just named. There you go. LeBron and AD. Nice. So nice. this one's going to be a little bit tougher. So we'll just go through this quickly. Uh, the highest assist per game duos in NBA Finals history. So these are guys that added up to, like two guys that added up to the most assists per game in the NBA Finals. Let's see if you can name a okay. few of them. 
All right, Peter. Well, obviously, Jokic, Murray. No, As they're actually saw. seventh. Oh. At 17.2. Oh. Wow, okay, wow, okay, okay. okay. What about Jason Kidd and Jason wow. Terry? Uh, no, no. There's one player that's in three of these. LeBron? Uh, no. John Stockton. Because it has to be somebody else that also averages a lot of assists too, right? True. What was that, Rush? John Stockton? He never won. Oh, you Oh, you didn't say win. You said Oh, sorry, sorry, no. It is just NBA Finals, but again, there's nobody else that was on the Jazz that averaged a lot of assists, so no. Yeah. Okay. Parker Ginobili? Nope. Good guess, but no. Damn, we're going way back then. Yes. Oh. Let's go uh, Magic and... Baylor? No, they were never on the same team. Okay. But you're on the right Cooper? track. Yes, number two. And quickly, Magic and Kareem, number one. I think you said MJ and Pippen. I completely just zoned out. So they're third on the list. Um, we shouldn't on that one. Yeah, we didn't say that, but we'll take it. <laughs> no. Oh, okay, well, I guess that was a previous guess. All right, so two more, right? Yeah. Uh, Give us an era. It's uh, the 80s, and again, one constant in all these. We've already magic. named them. Yep. <laughs> just, just magic alone. <laughs> um, Basically. Uh, who else is up? <laughs> Byron Scott on those teams? That's a good guess, but it's... Uh, Norm Nixon? There you go. Norm Nixon. Whoa, and dang. actually, it's Magic and Cooper twice. I just noticed this. So Jeez. They did it two times. Michael Cooper, man. No love on those teams, but uh, very underrated. Indeed. And, uh, Says the record books, as if I ever watched that shit. One more quick one. Let's see how many you can name. All the D, uh, DPOYs in history. Defensive Players of the Year in history. Let's see. We'll go by position quickly. There's two point guards. Can you name them? Peyton. Yep. That have won an NBA championship and DP. That have won DPOY. Just, just DPOY. Just in general. DPOY. Wait, wait. What's the question? <laughs> so defensive players, uh, defensive player of the year by position. Oh, okay. In NBA history, there's two point guards that have won DPOY in NBA history. Peyton. All they got is Peyton. I don't know who else. Recently, Marcus Smart. Oh, he's oh, not right. point guard. Come on. Whatever. Eh. Uh, next, you have shooting guards. Michael Jordan. MJ. Yep. How many have more? Uh, they are three more. One of these guys I actually don't recognize, and there's no names listed next to them, so. DPOY? Yeah. No, there's no one recently as a two guard, is there? No. One of them you've named in the uh, previous question that played with Magic. Cooper? There you go. Wow. Okay. And the other two guys I actually don't recognize, so we'll move on. Um, <laughs> small forward. One cool. Laker that played with Kobe, and the other one is a current Clipper. Kawhi? Kawhi. Yep. I think we played with Kobe? And LeBron? No. LeBron never won a DPY. Uh, no, no. No. Didn't play with LeBron either. Ron Artest? There you go. Very nice. Oh. Oh, nice. And we'll end it there. Why? You don't want to talk about the bigs who have dominated this award? We don't have time. 
wrap it up. All right, well, on that note, I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, other major podcast platforms. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. You can find us at Hoops Corner Pod. And until next time, peace.